0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, rabbil alameen, ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi, wa ila amma ba'd, sadri, wa yassirli wa min lisani yafqahu qawli. All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him and seek His assistance and guidance and seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah guides, none can misguide, and whomsoever He misguides, none can guide. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger. Muhammad ibn Abdullah, sallallahu alayhi wa I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah And that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all Indeed it is with the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have come together yet again uh, in what will be the final part of this first visit uh, to Kuwait um, to share from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and as promised in our first lecture, this last lecture will be titled, Leadership Begins at Home and as also promised, uh, I will discuss with you all uh, the beginning or the lessons from the beginning Uh, of Surah Yusuf. Uh, The first talk was titled Lessons from Surah Yusuf and we avoided um, a chunk uh, right at the beginning of the Surah given how closely uh, it's associated to the topic uh, today. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all our time together thus far, accept the lessons shared and make the lessons be lessons that um, inspire us to become a better people. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala To gather us in this world uh, Many, many a time before gathering us in the hereafter Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen Brothers and sisters in Islam uh, Just before um, this sitting of ours I had uh, a nice sitting with your children And we spoke about the importance of having high aspirations I wanted it to be more interactive Um, However, it was my first chance with them And I only had a few minutes with them And I needed to get out of my chest Uh, information that I needed to share before I departed and perhaps I can develop a relationship with them uh, through future visits if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permits Uh, at the end of that particular session uh, they shared some of their insights in terms of what you as parents and as a community can do to assist them becoming the change that they would like to see and uh, from the feedback that was given was that they would like to see from their parents and their community um, the opportunities to make mistakes and not to be raised with the fear of making mistakes they would like to be provided uh, environments whereby they are free to try and free to fail and learn from errors and then uh, be given the opportunity to um, re-attempt certain endeavors with knowledge learned from previous mistakes. They would love to be provided with that sort of uh, environment. And this is a fair uh, request and an important request. Because I think, uh, and this is what uh, several communities I've traveled to, I think adults grow up upon this fear uh, to fail. And then they become servants of the egos. That if I fail, then that's a dent on my ego. So I will not allow myself to fail. And the biggest way to protect myself from failing is to avoid trying. And this is where we as a community cease to progress and maybe even fall into a state of retrogression where we move backwards. When you have this fear of failing your ego, then you fail to try. And in the Arabic language, there's a statement which says that the one who fears failure will never stand. Oh, sorry, the one who fears falling. The one who fears falling will never stand. Right? If you fear falling, you'll never stand. So, if you fear failing, you'll never try. And maybe as adults, we have this uh, notion uh, with us, with regards to failure, and perhaps maybe indirectly, subconsciously, we're transferring this culture to our children. So, this is one of the points that they highlighted. The other point which they highlighted in terms of you assisting them in their development and them becoming the change that they would like to see, uh, is that you create an environment for them to ask questions without being belittled, without them feeling that their question is not valuable or not of importance or not worth it. Create an environment where they are allowed to question and ask questions to things that they don't see as simple as ABC in their minds. Uh, And without being looked down upon because of those questions. And uh, without being told to stop asking questions. Uh, And I think again, this is a very fair and important request. Um, There was a third uh, matter that has escaped me. It was in my prefrontal cortex just now, but it has slipped me. Uh, And inshallah, if I do remember, I will share it. But nonetheless, I asked our brothers to jot down Uh, these questions and share it with the community or these suggestions and share it with the community at large but no doubt if we can create for them an environment where they're free to ask and an environment where we celebrate their failures if i can put it candidly then no doubt we will create aspirational youth and youth who are not uh, afraid to think out of the box not afraid to push their boundaries May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them and bless you. Ameen. With regards to this topic of leadership begins at home, then yes, no doubt, the home is the foundation of all development. Uh, A child uh, is is, is extracted from the womb of his or her mother without knowing anything. And then through the senses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed this child with, does the child learn. And the first school of the child will always be the environment of the home and in particular the environment provided by the mother and the father. Uh, children are very perceptive uh, At uh, from the time of birth. They are sponges that absorb the environments that are placed. Uh, Around them or the environments that they are placed within so no doubt that is the first school of the child And if we fail with regards to that school then we have set up the future of the child either a future of success or a future of failure now that we uh, Through common sense understand that the first school of the child is the home then the first teachers of the child are the parents and It is fundamentally important that parents get their priorities in order. Uh, Parents uh, see themselves as the first teachers and believe themselves to be the first teachers. The reality brothers and sisters in Islam will always be that you can outsource HR, you can outsource marketing, you can outsource catering, you can outsource branding and marketing, but you cannot outsource parenting. You'll never ever be able to outsource parenting. Right? The nanny that you bring at home to bring up your child is not someone you outsource your responsibilities to. The school or the Islamic seminary is not the institute that you outsource your parenting to. The, the help that you get at home and the seminaries around you are only there to complement your role as a parent, not to assume your role as a parent. The quicker you get with the program, the better it will be. For you and the Ummah for both today and tomorrow, because as I told your children, they are not our tomorrow. They are our today and our tomorrow. If you're not doing the role as your role as their primary teacher, no one else is gonna do that job for you. There's no one in this world that is more desperate for their success besides you. Because there's no one who loves them more than you. Yes, the help at home that you hire might develop a relationship for your child and develop some love for your child, and bring them presents after every trip back home, which makes you feel that this is amazing and this is nice. Yes, the teacher at school or the Islamic seminary might show great interest in your child, especially during the parents' evening, where they tell you about the potential that your child has and you know what they would like to see from your child. That's all good, and that may exist. But never ever forget that everyone else has their own children and they will by design love them more than yours. By design, they will be more desperate for the success of their own children more than yours. This is by design. This is physics. This is how the world has been created. This is the system Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put into play. No parent will love for the success of your child more than their own. So it's fundamentally important that you get with the program. And you understand that you cannot outsource that responsibility which Allah has given you To any other entity on the globe Or in this world Because no entity will care for your child Or be desperate for their success more than yours This is the reality This is the reality Which means you have to be your child's first teacher For every subject that your child will face And the institute will complement that role for you If you uh, need to teach your If your child in Sudan Quran You need to be your child's first teacher and the Islamic seminary will complement your role for you. If you don't have the ability to teach them Quran or physics or mathematics or science and so on and so forth, and you pass on, uh, you, you bring in help in terms of the Islamic seminary, the Islamic madrasa, the teacher that comes home, then you have to be on top of that program. You have to be the one questioning the teacher weekly, if not daily, about the progress of your child. And the why's you need to be asking, the why's that need to be asked. It cannot be that you've just paid the fees, your child goes there and you're busy with your life and you'll just see the report card at the end of the term. Or you will visit the teacher for the parent night whenever that happens during the term and that's when you will come to find out. No. If you choose to be detached and choose to lack responsibility, then you have chosen the future of your child. Yes, maybe you, didn't, you weren't brought up reading Quran as it should be read. You're still learning. So you get a teacher who can. But you got to be on top of that teacher. You got to explain the vision to that teacher. What you expect of your child, what you're looking for. You got to be on top of the tarbiyah process related to that program. You got to be pushing the buttons because you haven't outsourced to the teacher. He's only complimenting your role. He's helping you do your role. And that is why when Imam Malik's mother took her son, to the teacher of Imam Malik, a massive scholar of hadith, a giant in terms of Islamic scholarship. She didn't just leave him with the sheikh and say, he's the sheikh, he knows best. I can't say anything, what do I know? She didn't belittle her position as a parent. Rather, she said to the teacher, teach him manners before you teach him knowledge. This is my curriculum, and you are the hired help for that. But this is my vision, This is your KPI, you know, in the corporate field, we have key performance indicators and metrics, and we're always looking at all these things, set your own KPIs for the different endeavors that you have for the life of your child, and then if you're going to bring in help, relay those KPIs and metrics to them, and hold them accountable based on them, like you are held accountable based on your metrics and key performance indicators at work, if you come from that culture. So, dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, the quicker we realize this and get with the program, the quicker the world will indeed become a better place. No one can do your job for you. I think you've seen this even in normal activities of life. Nobody will do the task as you would do it if you did it yourself. Some people have this thing that, I just let me just do it myself, because no one's going to do it how I want it to be done. When it comes to parenting, that is even more the case. At the beginning of Surah Yusuf, Allah takes us on a journey of parenting in practice. Many people don't see it because they just see the apparent meaning of the ayah. But behind the ayah, there's fundamental, phenomenal lessons of appropriate parenting when we look at Ya'qub alayhi salam and his speech to his child. At the beginning of the surah, Allah tells us that Yusuf saw a dream. And when he had this dream, he was concerned about the dream. So he went to his father to seek answers. This is the apparent meaning of what we read from the ayah. But Allah tells us to ponder over the Qur'an. And when we ponder over the Qur'an we see, and we ponder over the life that we live in, there's many lessons that we can deduce from this. From the lessons is number one, how Ya'qub was a constant teacher and presence in the life of his child. And we know this from the life that we live today. Because no child is comfortable sharing their concerns with anybody unless they're comfortable with them. And for them to become comfortable with you, they have to have spent quality time with you. The fact that Yusuf ran quickly to his father, not his brothers, in today's day and age, we would say not the guidance counselor at school, is simply because he spent quality time with his father at that point already, which which created trust in him for his father, And whenever a child trusts you, great value is brought into the relationship between child and parent. And this is how you create value, not by buying them the latest technology and games and playstations and Xboxes and so on and so forth. And you say, well, I provide for them. So I have these rights to be listened to. Value is not created through Monetary needs Value is created Through bringing Trust in that relationship And trust you can't buy You got to apply yourself For that to be created So Yusuf had trust In terms of his father And his father's ability That's why he looked nowhere else Besides his father Because Yaqub had already already spent years From the time Yusuf was born Taking care of him Talking to him teaching him. This is an indicator if we ponder over our understanding of life and over what's happening here when a child sees a dream and immediately goes to his father you need to now deduce the backstory to this. How did this happen? It wasn't just chance it was a reality that happened to be because of a history that mandated time and effort. That's point number one. Point number two why would Yusuf be concerned about a dream? The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. Why should I be concerned? Kids have wild imaginations anyway. Why should this be a concern to him? Where he needs to speak to his father about. Because if you ponder and piece together the backstory, you would see that his father already taught him about, about Tawshid and the worship of one Allah. And how subjugation is done only to one Allah and not to anything from the creation of Allah. If this lesson wasn't present in his heart, it wouldn't have confused him as a child. He would have just woke up and said, hey, I had a crazy dream. (laughs) This is what happened. As any child does. They have crazy dreams. They have wild imaginations. Right? And they would mention it on the breakfast table and we would laugh at it and carry on with our day. But he's perplexed by it because there's a backdrop. He is... He is using as a yardstick in dealing with this dream previous lessons which his first teacher taught him his father. His father was his hero. His father was the most knowledgeable man to him. That even though I have teachers elsewhere, but my father knows the best. My father knows more. This is trust brothers and sisters in Islam. So immediately we take two lessons just by pondering over the reality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shared with us in our knowledge of life. That a child doesn't approach an adult unless they're comfortable with them. And they're never comfortable with an adult unless that adult has given them time and build trust. Number one. Number two, no doubt the Ya'qub taught his son the fundamental lessons. Because it was those lessons that caused him to have some confusion about the dream which he saw. Now, when he says this to his father, and his father is a messenger of Allah, and was blessed by Allah to have the ability to interpret dreams. Ya'qub understands from the dream that my son has been picked to be a prophet. And Ya'qub understands that the journey towards prophethood is a difficult one. And my son is going to go through a test. I might not have the specifics of it, but he's going to go through some immense difficulty. So Ya'qub as always chooses to teach his child and not leave the lessons for later. And this is lesson number three in terms of parenting in practice. Lesson number one, build trust. That's the greatest value you can bring into your relationship. Lesson number two, teach your child about the important matters. And this is manifested here in this particular point. In lesson number three, don't delay teaching what needs to be taught. Many a time as parents, we feel that they're young, we still have time to teach them. Or they're young, they're not ready to learn this lesson yet. We disrespect their intellect, which Allah created them with. By saying they're not ready yet, when they're older, we'll teach them. You are disrespecting their being. And some parents take it further. We'll teach them about good character later. We'll teach them how to dress appropriately later. One parent, I heard uh, this person say that, you know what? Let them dress how they want now when they're older. You know, they'll have to... As if when they're older, they'll have to suffer wearing the hijab, let them enjoy now. This kind of messaging. What are you saying? What are you saying? When I was growing up, my father used to always say that when the tree starts growing in the wrong direction, instead of growing straight, it's growing crooked, that's the time to fix it. That's the time you can place a pole, tie the the, the branch to that pole, because that's the time when it's flexible. To have some hope in saving this tree from growing the wrong way, but if you let the tree grow and grow and grow, and it becomes set in its way, growing crooked, there's no way you're going to straighten that tree. The only solution is to chop it. The golden years to parent your child is from when the child is born. In fact, sciences now talk about the child being perceptive in the womb of the mother, that from the womb it's developing and growing, and no doubt it is. Umar ibn Khattab رضي الله عنه When he he, he taught a person About how to bring up a child He said Bringing up the child begins Based on the wife you choose to marry Before conception even happens Forget about the child developing the womb of the mother Grows by you choosing the woman who you marry And the woman choosing the man who she marries But you don't marry the woman of your dreams You marry the mother of your children And she will be the woman of your dreams. This is life. You guys are looking very serious. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. Many of you the bubble's already been burst because through reality you've seen it. (laughs) It's not as when we were growing up with all the red colors and flowers and petals and roses and bells and whistles. Life turned out different. Marriage, we thought marriage was something. When we got married, we saw it's different. That's life. No one told you you're in Jannah. (laughs) Right? Jannah is yet to come. This is the place before. In Jannah is when you push buttons and things happen at the blink of an eye and the click of a finger. In this world, you got to work for your amenities. You want it good, you got to work for it. That is the life that we live in. So you want to have that amazing child, you got to be searching for for the woman of your dreams who will be the mother of your children. Yes, that's hard work, it takes time. Somebody says it takes the sweetness out of the process. Well, it is what it is. Welcome to the dunya. No one told you it's going to just be huh? bells and whistles. No one told you that. No way in the Quran do we find that. And no way in the speech of the Prophet sallallahu do we see that. So don't fear it, embrace it. Don't fear the process. Sometimes I feel parents fear these realities so they avoid it. Teach the child later. He doesn't have to know now, he's young. Right? No, you're avoiding the risk. Why delay with the inevitable? Some people feel if we teach our child of shaitan, he's not, he's not ready to know about shaitan. Yaqub is teaching Yusuf about shaitan. You hear just now. And the scholars of tafsir say when Yusuf saw this dream and he had this conversation with his father, he was between the age of five and seven. This is an estimate. Allah knows best, right? This is his father teaching him. What does he say to his son? He says, Ya la taksus ruyaka ala ikhwatik. Oh my dear child, don't release this dream to your brothers. He gives him a command, as many of us do today as parents. We're good at the sergeant role. Huh? Sergeant, major, lieutenant, we all have the stripes. Huh? We tell the child, Do, don't do. Do as I say, don't do as I do. Do and don't ask questions, because I told you to do it, do it. That we all get a in. He gives the command Because yes Part of bringing up the child Needs you to command them Towards the right And warn them against wrong But Yaqub doesn't stop there He teaches us that fundamental parenting Phenomenal parenting Is in you commanding your child And explaining why Yaqub says If you tell them They will plot against you This is why my dear son Today as parents, I don't know if it's lack of time, we command and we leave them to imagine why. And children by default are inquisitive. They have a mind which is absorbing. They're inquisitive. So they might listen to you when you're there out of fear. But when you're not there, they will experiment and do what you told them not to do to see what the consequence will be. And this is you wasting your child's life. Tell them why. You don't want them to play in the sun without a hat. Tell them why. Don't just say, don't play in the sun. Tell them why. Go and study. Tell them why. And don't just make it a weak why. Sit down with them. Create value. Respect their intellect. Make them feel important. As you would do at work when you're transferring the project, delegating and you're telling the team why. You sit down with them. You might go for a meal, for a coffee. You respect the process. Respect the process. Take them for a cup of tea or something. Right, we're having a meeting together, father, son, parents and children. This is what the meeting's about. Respect the intellect, bring them up. Make them feel part of the whole, not on the outside of the sphere. Tell them why. Yaqub teaches his child why. And subhanallah, he goes on to offer guidance and he says, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لِلْإِنسَانِ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ Indeed, Shaitan to mankind is a great enemy. The scholars have pondered over this ayah, that this is amazing, that he already told his child why, and then he adds this extra chunk of information. What is the reason here, why Allah is telling us that Yaqub said this? And the scholars teach us, through pondering over the book of Allah, that Yaqub plausibly shared this lesson, because he had already taught his son that the greatest people to him are his brothers. The people he should trust are his brothers. The people he should fight for are his brothers, not fight against. The people he should love and do things more and be selfless with are his brothers. That can only be the explanation. Why Yaqub is going on to teach his son this advice? Because no doubt he knows that my son will feel there's a contradiction in my lessons to him. That up to this point, I'm telling him trust your brothers, And now I'm telling him, don't say this dream to your brothers. Don't relate this dream to your brothers. Surely to this young boy, there's a conflict here. So I need to further explain myself. Can you see how powerful this Quran is? When you ponder over it, the lessons it throws are at you. Right? So Yaqub is telling his son, My dear son, don't tell this to your brothers. And let me tell you something. They're going to plot against you. And let me tell you something. If they do, don't forget that Shaytan is a clear enemy to mankind. That if they do what they do, or if they happen to do something to you, yes, it's wrong. But don't forget the hand of Shaytan. This is a lesson of a father to a child. Then he knows, Yaqub, that I don't know how long I have with my child. Anything could happen. So I'm not going to delay I'm going to teach him the tools that are going to assist him in managing himself wherever Allah puts him. So Ya'qub says, wa وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ وَيُعَلِّمُكَ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ وَيُتِمُّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكَ وَعَلَىٰ ali عَقُوبَكَ مَا أَتَمَّهَا كَمَا عَلَىٰ أَبَوَيْكَ مِنْ قبل إبراهيم وإسحاق. إن ربك عليم حكيم. He says, my dear son, whatever happens to you after today, this is Allah completing his favor unto you. This is Allah making you a messenger. Just like Allah did to your grandfathers, Ibrahim and Ishaq. And my dear son, the Allah that I've taught you about, I'm going to teach you today that He is your Lord and He is the all-knowing and He is the all-wise. He teaches him three names from the names of Allah. So immediately at this young age, this is a boy learning who his Allah is. Not that just my Allah is Allah. But he's learning the names and attributes of Allah. He's understanding who his Allah is. And he understands who Shayban is. At this young age. Subhanallah. There is no lesson like the lesson of a mother and father. Yes, the Quran teacher might teach your child this. Yes, the teacher at school might. Yes, the grandparents may. But there's a barakah and blessing that Allah puts in the instruction of a parent to a child that doesn't exist when the same instruction is shared by some other human being. There's a barakah. There's a hidden power. And let me prove to you this power. Because as we go through the story, Yusuf is in the bottom of a well. He's all there by himself. He's scared. But he remembers that nobody knows where I am. But my father taught me that I'll be safe. Why? Because he taught me that my Allah is my Lord. And Lord means protector. nourisher, Sustainer. And Allah taught me that Allah is the all-knowing. So he knows where I am. And my father taught me that Allah is the all-wise. So even though I don't understand Allah is wise as to why I'm here. This is what keeps you grounded, brothers and sisters. When the... Calamity strikes when he's taken out of the well by strangers and he's scared to see them And they choose to hide him and make him a slave when he's the son of a prophet and free He remembers that no one knows where I am, but my father taught me Allah is my protector He knows where I am because Allah taught me He's the all-knowing and Allah knows why I'm going through this because my father taught me that Allah is the most wise when he enters the slave markets of Egypt, and I taught you a little bit about it, how people were slapped around in those markets. And he's scared. And he wishes for his father who will protect him. He doesn't lose his belief in Allah and remembers that my father taught me that Allah is my Lord, He will protect me. And Allah knows where I am because He's al Alim, And Allah knows why I'm here because He's Al-Hakim. I don't understand what is happening. But my father taught me and I trust Him that Allah is completing His favor unto me, and He's taught me the tools to look after myself away from His home, and that is to remember that Allah is Al-Rabb Al-A'lim When the minister buys him, and he has to grow up in a home of idol worship and promiscuity, the most tedious years of his life, what do you think will happen to a teenager growing up in a gangster neighborhood of drugs and adultery? What will happen to this child? He will become what that environment is. The most tedious years of your being, teenage years, Yusuf is growing up with all this bad happening around him. Idols being worshipped. No one mentioning Allah. No one mentioning Tawheed. Can you imagine what Ya'qub is fearing at home? Knowing that my son is lost in the middle of nowhere, what's going to happen to his Tawheed? What's going to happen to his belief in one Allah? How will he die? Yusuf remains upon Tawheed. Even though no one teaches him about Allah. Because that was the power and barakah that existed in the teaching of a father to his child. That when Yusuf is 40, 40, if he was abducted in his early teenage years, we're talking two decades plus in an environment not conducive to any child. And he's locked in the room with a foreign woman who is his master. He has to obey her. She is a a citizen. He is an expat, so to say, a foreigner. She has greater rights. She has the army and police at her control. He doesn't. And she says, come to me. What's the first words that come from his mouth? Ma'ad Allah. I seek Allah's protection. Who taught him about Allah? Let's just pause here for a moment. 40-something... Three decades plus, you haven't heard about Allah. You, the first words that come out of your mouth is Allah. No one can see you, Yusuf. Yes, no one can see me, but my father taught me that Allah is knowledgeable of everything. He knows where I am. And Allah is wise as to why I'm here. And Allah is my Lord and protector. I got to follow what my father taught me. This is haram, I seek his protection from what you call me too. This is the barakah of a lesson of a father to his child. You see how it lasts? It lasts, brothers and sisters in Islam. It stays with you. And not only this, don't forget about the lesson of the father to the child. When the father taught his child about Shaitan. Because later on when Yusuf is now in his 50s, if we take conservative metrics, in trying to analyze the timeline of the story, he's in his 50s and he's running Egypt. And his brothers come. And they don't know who he is because they need food. They've come all the way from Palestine. And he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And he welcomes them, and he answers their requests, and he allows them to go back to get Binyamin and come back, and he promises them that he will give them the quota for Binyamin if they bring him. He's not using prejudice. What would you and I do, brothers and sisters, when you see the culprits who kidnapped you, from your father's home and all the difficulty of life you had to see because of what they did. Decades of it. What would you do when they walk in upon you and you have the police and army at your disposal? You are a minister and leader in the land. What would you do? By Allah, I ask you, Yusuf doesn't act in in, in an incorrect way. Why? Because he remembers what his father taught him that if your brothers do anything to you, don't forget the hand of Shaytan in that. And when they finally come back with Benjamin, Yusuf tells them, What did you do with Yusuf when you used to be ignorant? Look at the wordings. Look at the wordings. He makes an excuse for his brothers. He says, by the way, what did you do to that boy called Yusuf when you guys were young and never knew what you were doing? After all this, when he brings up the topic... He brings it up making an excuse for them. Would you and I do that? We'd say, whoa, 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 what did you do to me? You know who I am. And what did you do back in the day? And don't give me excuses. There's no excuses. You know what you did. This is how we would be. Own up. Stand up for your mistake. Today is payback. Yusuf, he's telling them, what did you do with that boy called Yusuf once upon a time? When you used to be young and you never used to know what you were doing. Subhanallah, how beautiful is this? Who taught him this character and adab? His father, why? He never forgot for one instant, ever in this journey growing up, about the lesson of Shaytan that his father taught him. When his father taught him that his brothers may do something. Now the brothers realize, Subhanallah, this has to be Yusuf. Because there was no CCTV when we committed the crime. Nobody knew what we did. The only person who could know is Yusuf himself you uh, Yusuf, they asked. He says, am Yusuf, I am Yusuf. And then the brothers fall into regret and despair, and they say, Wallahi laqad atharakallahu alayna by Allah, he has He has given you success and given you uh, abundant good. And we have been from the wrongdoers. Yusuf sees this regret and it hurts him. He doesn't want to see his brother sad. He's not picking a bone with them. Immediately he says, La تثريب عليكم اليوم No blame on you, my brothers. No blame, don't. There's nothing to apologize or feel regretful. There's no blame on you. يغفر الله Allah will forgive you. وهو أرحم And He is the most merciful of anyone who can show mercy. That if you think I'm merciful, Allah is more merciful. Don't feel regret, I hold no grudges. By Allah, I ask you, how is it possible that He held no grudges? How is it possible? Because he never spent one instant in the wild blaming his brothers, nor in the prison, nor in the caravan, nor in the slave market, nor in the palatial home of the minister of Egypt. Not once did he blame his brothers, rather he was guided by the lesson of his father the blame Shaytan. Don't forget, Shaytan is a clear enemy. This made it easy for him to forgive his brother His brothers, in fact, we can say He never even needed to forgive them He's not even saying, I've forgiven you He's saying, no blame on you Allah will forgive you If there's any issue, it's between you and Allah There's no issue between me and you It's clear You asked Allah for forgiveness Because of what you did The only account you have now is with Allah Between you and me, there was never an account to settle This is the blessing I'm highlighting, I'm proving to you The blessings that exist when you teach your child that will not exist if I teach your child or any other human being. Allah puts a hidden, there's a barakah, there's a hidden power in your message to your children. And that's why leadership can only begin at home. Nowhere else, brothers and sisters in Islam. Then when we take the story to its end, and Allah unites Yusuf with his family, and everybody is happy, and the dream interpretation happens to be, Yusuf understands what he saw when he was a young boy, finally, when he's in his fifties. Yusuf speaks up. He makes an announcement. And he says, "Waqad Allah has been absolutely perfect to me. He's not complaining about his Allah. Why? I never ever saw myself being punished. I saw myself being in a test and Allah completing His favor upon me. That's what my father taught me. Allah was good to me, good to me throughout when I was in the well, when I was taken as a slave, when I was rotting in the slave market, being clapped around, when the minister took me in this home of where they worshipping idols, when I was thrown into prison, when I was entirely innocent. You know what? Allah was absolutely perfect. Then he says, أَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِ when Allah removed me from the prison وَجَاءَ بِكُمْ مِنَ <الْبَدَوِي> and You reunited me with my family by bringing you out of the desert. مِنْ بَعْدِ <إِخْوَتي> After shaytan caused enmity between me and my brothers. Who taught you that shaytan caused enmity between you and your brothers? You're almost 60, Yusuf. Who gave you that lesson? What do you think he'll say I'm just saying what my father taught me when I was a young boy. It stayed with me throughout my life. That if they do something to you, don't forget that Shaytan is a clear enemy to mankind. So I say with confidence, because a Prophet who is my father taught me, I say with confidence, after Shaytan caused enmity between me and my brothers, I blame Shaytan. Yes, my brothers did wrong, but I blame Shaytan. Subhanallah. I think you should... I hope you're convinced. I mean, if this is in the Qur'an, this is clear for you. Ponder over the book. أَفَلَا يَتِتَبَّرُونَ Quran. Do you not ponder over the book that you read? If you do, you'll find the signs. You'll find the lessons. You'll find the guidance. Leadership begins at home. Maybe nobody thought you will find it in Surah Yusuf, in this way. But it's there, if you just ponder. And one other thing, brothers and sisters in Islam, not only Yusuf, Yusuf was excellent as we can see, but he was excellent in completion. Yes, he had half of beauty. right? He was described as having half of beauty, but not only external beauty, internal beauty as well. To forgive like this, that's beautiful. Not to blame your brothers after what they did. That is beautiful. And then in the way you bring up the discussion, Yusuf doesn't say Allah was good to me when Allah took me out of the well. Yusuf says Allah was good to me when Allah took me out of prison. Which was more difficult for him, brothers and sisters? Being thrown into the well as a young kid or being thrown into prison as an adult because of his choosing? Which is more difficult for a human being? Well or prison? Well. But Yusuf doesn't say Allah was good to me when he took me out of the well says Allah was good to me when He took me out of the prison. Why doesn't He mention the well? Ponder. These, these are the places to think. This is what Allah wants you to do. Think. Ponder over the Qur'an. Why doesn't He say well? Why does He praise Allah for taking Him out of the prison when the well was, deserves more praise because that was more hard of him. Because he's speaking in the presence of his brothers, who he informed earlier, he never ever held any grudge towards them. And that Allah will forgive them. When you forgive someone perfectly, you don't remind them of their mistakes. You don't say, I forgive you, but I don't forget. You don't forgive them, and then years later, you say, hey brother, remember what you did to me that time. But I forgave you, it's finished. But just remember what you did. (laughs) You don't do that. He's not mentioning the world because his brothers were responsible for it. Rather mention the prison, which the people of Egypt were responsible for. This is Ihsan, this is excellence, this is leadership. This is leadership brothers and sisters in Islam. And let's not forget the greatest gift that he remained upon, which is the gift of Iman and Islam. He was a leader of himself. He was not led by other people. And that was taught to him by his mother and father in his home. Especially his father as we know from the story. And there's a weak narration. But its meaning is powerful and correct. Which says that when the glad tidings came to Yaqub About Yusuf being alive. The first question that Yaqub asked is how did you find him? Did you find him upon Tawheed or not? The biggest concern of his father. Because that was the biggest lesson I taught him. No one else taught him but me. I taught him about the worship of one Allah. I am privileged with that honor. How did you find him? Did the blessings last the space of his life away from me? That he remained upon that message despite every environment he was put into? And that was the true glad tidings for Ya'qub. The true glad tidings was not that we found Yusuf, but we found him as a worshipper of one Allah. As a man who in the prison taught the idol worshippers that I am upon the way of my father and my grandfathers. Is one God being worshipped better? Is, uh, uh, is, uh, is worshipping many gods better or worshipping one Allah? This is what he said to the people of the prison when he was in his 40s. He says, I have left the way of these people. I am upon the way of my forefathers. He knew his identity. He didn't have an identity crisis. Today they talk about this identity crisis in the youth. Yusuf knew who he was. I am Yusuf, the son of a prophet. Yaqub was the son of a prophet. Ishaq was the son of the prophet. Ibrahim. Khalilullah. I come from a heritage of prophets. And I am a prophet. I know who I am and I don't doubt it. There's no crisis in my life. There's no crisis in my life. This is leadership, my dearest brothers and sisters. There's much to say about this topic. However, I pray what I have shared with you uh, fulfills two realities. Number one, my promise to you on the first lecture, first night when I was here, that we will discuss this. And number two, doing justice to the subject matter, given the time that we have been given. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us as parents. Forgive our past and inspire our children. Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless our children. Make them blessed in and of themselves and blessed to everyone around them. In every environment that Allah places them in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala return us to Him when He is most pleased with us. And return our children to Him upon Islam and Tawheed and piety. And may Allah gather us with our children. In the highest Jannah, after making our children a means for us getting to the highest Jannah by making them a sadaqatul jariyah for us after we pass away. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Brothers and sisters in Islam, the Prophet said, Each and every one of you is a shepherd, and each and every one of you is responsible for your flock. Your children are from your flock, and you are responsible, and Allah will question you about your children on the day of Qiyamah. In fact, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, says that Allah will ask the child about the effectiveness of the parent before he asks the parent of how dutiful the child was. And we know it's a major sin to disrespect your parents and a major good deed to respect your parents. But despite this, Allah will ask the child about how good the parent was to teach us what a major sin it is not to do your job raising your child. It's a major sin. May Allah protect us from deeds that don't please Him. Kullukum كلكم راعٍ وكلكم مسؤولٌ عن Each and every one of you is a shepherd, and each and every one of you is responsible for your flock. I leave you with those words from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Everything correct said is from Allah alone, and He is perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and Shaytan. And I seek His forgiveness. I love you all for the sake of Allah. And I began thanking uh, the uh, Islamic Society of Kuwait. Uh, For and the community of Kuwait for being a means for me being here and I end off by uh, sharing a heartfelt gratitude as well uh, To the organization and to the community for coming and uh, lending me an attentive ear and I highlight what I highlighted earlier Don't let these lectures be just some nice, you know pastime nice uh, information to listen to No, don't let that be your end. Let your end be someone who learns and then goes on a journey with themselves, identifying how close they are to the ideals that they learned or how far they are from the ideals which they have just been taught. You've got to go on that journey. You've been taught certain ideals in this lecture. You've got to go and run your gap analysis. Huh? This is what it is, huh? gap analysis, root cause analysis. Go and run your own gap analysis. That this is the ideal and I'm down here. There's a gap between me and my ideal. That's the gap analysis. Understand that analysis. Write it down, see it in front of you. Because if you don't know that you're sick, you won't go to the doctor. So see what the problems that you have. And after that gap analysis, run your root cause analysis. Figure out why you are not at the ideal and you rather you down here. That's your root cause analysis. What are the reasons? Am I prioritizing my job, which is an elective role? Over me as a parent, which is a mandatory role. Is that the reason? Come to your realization and fix it. Change the system. Because if you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. Right? This is what Henry Ford said. Makes good, a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. If you don't change, you're going to get the same result. So now that you understand the causes, change, come with the solutions. And every so often, rerun your gap analysis and make sure you are closing the gap between you and the ideal. This is what we want from the ummah after you listen to a lecture. We want progress, not just movement. A rocking horse moves, but it doesn't progress. Don't be a rocking horse where you've listened to a lot of lectures here, there, YouTube, everywhere. You're a directory, mashallah, of all the latest lectures and speakers, but your life is somewhere stuck in a puddle. You think you know, but you don't know. You feel good about movement, but there's no progress. And you console yourself with the movement because that's a form of cognitive dissonance where you're happy to make excuses for yourself to help you pass the failure that you are. That's cognitive dissonance. Where you're failing at something, but you give enough excuses to yourself to help you sleep well at night. Don't be that person, brothers and sisters in Islam. We're all on a journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? We ask Allah to make these words truly beneficial. That you grow from what you know. From knowing to growing. That is progress. Right? That is progress from knowing to growing. I love you all for the sake of Allah and ask Allah to reunite us uh, many a time in this life so we can share more from the pearls taught to us by Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and our scholars after him, the inheritors of his inheritance sallallahu alayhi wa Sallam, and after this, I ask Allah to gather us underneath His arsh on the day of Qiyamah as people who came together in this life, having love for each other for no other reason besides Allah. And then I ask Allah to gather us in Al-Firdous al-A'la. Amin, Ya Rabbi al-A'la, sallallahu wa sallam wa ala Nabiina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Jamiin. Subhanallahu bihamdik. subhanakal wa bihamdik. Neshadu Allaa ilahe illa Ant. Nastaqbiruka wa natabu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh.